As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. everyone to the Total Soccer Show, not Soccer 101, which is how I originally introduced this one. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Here on the Total Soccer Show, we've been focusing on the European Championship, but Copa America has obviously been in full swing. Here to give us an update on the many, many teams that have been eliminated is Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic. Felipe, how have you been? I have been doing great. Listen, <laughs> I'm watching a lot of soccer. so it's Dramatic like- pause. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think I realized, I was like, wait, am I? are we going to talk about Euros? Are we going to talk about Copa? Even I'm like in a weird place mentally because of all the soccer. I forgot this was 4th of July weekend. That's how yep. crazy it's been for, for all of us that are covering the sport. But can't complain. I think in the future, we'll look back at this like summer of soccer and be like, wow, that was that was pretty intense, but pretty fun. It's it's it. I agree, <laughs> I, and especially on the intensity side, uh, we had like a couple of days off from the Euros, which I've been trying to spend catching up on things, both professional and personal. Uh, and yet here I am. Uh, we're recording this late Friday morning, and I was like, somebody asked me if I could do like something for five minutes, and I was like, I literally don't think I have five minutes free until Saturday night. <laughs> like it's gonna be a fun twenty four hours. I'm guessing that's the same for you. So let's get to it. Then let's talk uh, Copa America up front. Uh, I don't want to spend too long on non-soccer things, uh, but I did want to address a few things going on with Copa. First off, last we spoke, Brazil were the new hosts of the tournament. And normally, if I were saying the last time we spoke, they decided on the host nation. That meant you and I hadn't spoken for like years if the tournament was now going on. Uh, in this case, it's been, what, a couple weeks? How yeah. have things been as far as you've seen, as far as you know, with Brazil hosting? Well, I, I, it's it's going okay for, I mean, w- considering the context and the optics of this very strange Copa America, which I think still the the majority of people in South America and just globally uh, still believe that this tournament should not have kicked off. Um, but they have clearly kicked off and we're into the knockout stage. And, you know, I think the one thing that I, I've noticed just from, from reading and in hearing some of the players' comments is that, you know, I remember Columbia, some of the players on Columbia after their first game, um, they they were just kind of like throwing these subtle quotes out there about like the lack of preparation. You know, like they, they, they don't, it's not a typical international tournament camp setting. Um, it's clearly highly regulated and restricted due to COVID. Uh, and I think they've probably found their groove and they're able to train a little bit more. But I think at the beginning, it was really hard for these teams to find adequate tra- training time. Um, some of them weren't, you know, even stepping on the pitch until the day of the game, um, which, you know, I think that's we all know that's very a common practice is of going and like getting used to the surface, getting used to the stadium. And so that was part of the growing pains. Um, as I think a lot of your listeners know, you know, Venezuela had a COVID outbreak, like a legit outbreak. And so that affected their initial preparation and knocked Joseph Martinez, their one of their, their main strikers, essentially out of the tournament. Um, and, and so they, they came close to qualifying. It would have been a miracle for them to qualify. But even in a setting where four out of the five teams of each group, 
are advancing to the knockout stage, Venezuela just were never able to overcome, you know, that major obstacle of being just nailed with, with COVID within their camp. Um, and so that, that's been part of the story. I think now we're in the knockout phase and, and I'm, I'm sure the tournament and Cone Bowl would love for us to focus on, on the knockout matchups and, and some of the numbers, you know, some of the, the numbers that I have on hand that we can talk about, like number of goals and things like mm-hmm. that. But still, like I mentioned in, in the stories I've written, like I've mentioned with you several times, like just kind of the, the, the optics of the tournament continue to really just hover around the games. Yeah, I think that's that's what I was going to ask about, because that's what I'm kind of struggling with. We haven't, as I said, we haven't talked about it very much on the show. I think we've only talked about it with you. And when I watch games, like I, I'm trying to get into it. And part of it is that it's, you know, closed doors, so you don't have the atmosphere. But it is also that sort of air of should this be happening? We had this with like when like European friendlies were first coming back and internationals were first coming back. And it was nice and interesting but simultaneously it felt like i don't know if we're supposed to be here i'm not sure if this is even going to lead to a question but i just want to say up front that it like it is it it makes it harder to watch i also think the situation in brazil and the awareness of like what bolsonaro is trying to do with the brazil national team and how i feel like he's trying to use them a little bit to maybe distract or get some positive coverage I also have to believe that's probably having an impact on the interest in the competition or at the very least the interest in the home side. Uh, I will invite you to talk about that in any way you want to or to continue to talk about Venezuela because it does seem like they deserve a good amount of credit even if they're already eliminated uh, as one of the two teams that have been because of that COVID outbreak and everything they had to do to deal with it. No, for sure. I mean, mean, first, right off the bat, like it's – it, clearly, if you're going to com, perhaps comparing is, is not the right way to set this up. But if you look at the Copa America and look at the Euros, uh, you know, the European championships have it's been such an amazing tournament, mainly because you're playing in front of fans. The stadiums are almost full. Um, it just adds so much to the atmosphere. And again, as we know, players need that. <laughs> you know, players play differently when they're in that sort of environment. It leads to just different soccer. And I think the the Copa America not having that environment, for me, it's led to a lot of like the game's been very tactical, very physical. You've had a few games like Argentina, Paraguay in the group stage, which is really wide open, up and down, exciting. Uh, a few of the games between that Chile have played because they always play that way. Chile have not been great, but they're they are they tend to be a very direct team. You know, Colombia, Brazil, to me, it was one of the highlights of the game. Gosh, we, we could spend the entire episode talking about that fiasco with the referee. Um, but it was high quality. There's a bicycle kick. You know, I had, had Neymar in Brazil and all the stars. Colombia doing everything they could tactically to to stay compact and 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 at least walk out of there with a draw um and, and stay atop of the group alongside Brazil but you know it's it's difficult to watch sometimes and 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 not because the soccer is bad i don't i don't think the soccer has been bad it's just like even if you if you if you tend to watch on fox and fs1 like i don't love the fake like atmosphere. Like it's something that like I can't handle when I'm watching FS1. And so sometimes I'll be like, okay, I'm going to go to Copa, you know, Univision and I'll watch on Univision. And it's like, you don't hear fans, but like, you're just kind of in that unique and very real environment. So it depends on your tastes, but you know, I think as we get to the knockout rounds, you're going to start to see these teams tighten up, not so much tactically, but just the pressure is going to be on them to, to advance, to win the tournament, obviously for Messi and Brazil and Neymar, Argentina, and then who's going to be the dark horse that comes out of the other quarterfinals, you know, Peru and Paraguay, one of those teams is going to be in the semifinal, they face off. And so, um, you know, 20 goals, I believe out of 20 games, 46 goals have been scored 21 in the first half, 25 in the second half, um, 90% 90% of those goals have been from inside the penalty box, 10% outside, and it's about a 2.3 goal average per game. The leading scorer is, is Leo Messi, and he has three goals. So that I think that speaks to the type of soccer that is being played at this tournament. It's always so hard to predict. Uh, I want to stick with the coverage for one moment, and this is more of a personal thing for you, Felipe, but like... I think I'm with you that initially when the crowd noise started being pumped in, when we had the return from the COVID break, 
it, it, it was sort of like, yeah, okay, I can see why we're do- doing this. It is nice. It does feel slightly more normal if you never look at the stands. Since they started letting limited numbers of fans in, even small numbers, I think, make that atmosphere just automatically better. And I think it makes the artificial one simultaneously weaker. So then it goes to what would you prefer? Would you prefer them not have it, but then have commentators, especially in English, sort of doing the standard thing, but with silence in the background? Because I think that's part of it. Broadcasters don't love silence. And I think there's that feeling that if they're not talking, you'll be able to hear everything and you'll be able to hear how quiet it is and it will make the broadcast like more awkward. So would you rather there just be more potential awkward silences or... Here's my like weird question. Would you rather they try to almost emulate a more South American or, or like Mexican style of the kind of high tempo talking a lot? There's not a, a ton of dead air, but like maybe you're overfilling uh, that space with conversation. Which of those would you prefer? It's, it's a good question. I, I, I don't like the 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 fabricated atmosphere because mm-hmm. you can just tell it's just so hard to do. You, you know, Fox has been doing it since the, since soccer came back early right. in the pandemic, it's been part of their coverage, even for Bundesliga, it, it was there. And it, and I didn't love it then. Um, I still don't like it. Um, that doesn't mean it's because I love to hear nothing. Um, you, I think you make a great point that it, it's, it's tough on, on broadcasters. It's tough on the analysts. It's tough on the play by play to, to keep the fans and the, and the, the audience in, engaged. Um, but th- again, I think that's been part of, our uh, experience through COVID as, as we watch soccer on TV and, you know, Univ- Univision does a good job just because they, they are always high tempo. They're very analytical. Yep. Um, they're not really telling like stories of the tournament. They're just getting into the game and they're, they're doing the play by play. And, and like I said, that the analysts tend to be kind of hyper tactical and they're good at reading situational um, s- situational you know, sequences throughout the game, you know, Mauro Camarones, I don't know if you guys, the readers remember, or listeners remember him. He, he was an Argentine born mm-hmm. uh, player that chose Italy. He chose his nation. He, had, he was a dual national, ended up choosing Italy over Argentina, won the world cup with Italy in 2006, a great player in Syria, an, an excellent player. And now he's one of their, the, the analysts on Univision. And he just does a great job of like, understanding what the players are going through understand you know relaying tactics in a way that is high is a a little bit more literary and poetic than than just like x's and o's and i think it puts you in a situation where you understand perhaps what's going on um you know christo stoiskov and 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 ivan samorano part of the univision coverage and so they bring that experience of playing in this tournament understanding the culture understanding what the players perhaps are are going through in that moment fox for just quickly you know i think yeah they've struggled a little bit and not and not because the production has been terrible it's just because you can tell that they they weren't able to go all out with their with their coverage like espn as well with the euros they don't have reporters in every country just now they're sending you know taylor twelman and john champion are in europe for the knockout phase but they didn't have reporters throughout the country and, and, and throughout Europe reporting and doing stories, which is what we're used to. And Fox, it felt like when I watched their coverage, it feels like they're just kind of like they have this tournament. They're not there. Um, it, it's it, it's they're not in they're not understanding every context of every national team and what they're there for and who the players are. It, it's it's been tough for them to, I think, bring the tournament to life. It's been tough for Univision as well, but I think they just have the horses and the knowledge of the tournament and the culture to do a little bit better job. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Again, I would like to talk about actual on-field things, but uh, <laughs> I'm really interested in uh, your points about Cameronese and Stoichkov and uh, Zamorano. Like, like having the experience and then using that experience to enlighten and inform. I think lots of broadcasters tend to bring in ex-pros for the experience to talk about it. And then I think sometimes that gets bent to, well, the producer wants to talk about Messi and why he's so good. Let's yeah. talk about Messi. But those players are not Lionel Messi. They have not been at the ability or at the level of Lionel Messi. So it doesn't then really help. So I say that to then ask you, like, wh- what is the type of analysis you hear that you like? Because I tend to shy away from the color commentator saying, like, oh, you know what he was thinking in that moment. It's like, no, y- you you don't really. You can't really infer your own understanding onto that player. But if you've been there and you've lived it, I imagine there are ways that you can sort of explain the atmosphere, explain the pressure or the situation or what it's like in a 1v1. So is that sort of what they're doing? They're making it just more relatable and informative? Somewhat. I think, for instance, you know, to your point, like even on Fox, they have ex-players. They have Alexi Lala, Stu Holden, mm-hmm. Kobe Jones, um, but they haven't played. I think perhaps Alexi Lala's played in, in a Copa yeah. America, I believe, right? Um, but it's it's not their main cup of tea. It's not the tournament. It's not the culture. It's not the, the, the continent that they focus on. Um, and so uh, I, 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 if I'm comparing the two, I feel like the the American broadcast of Copa America has been a lot more perhaps statistical in nature. Like they'll mm. present teams and they'll present players as, hey, he has seven goals coming into this tournament or this goalkeeper had eight saves before and this guy has 92 appearances for his country. Um, and and it's that's kind of their way of, of introducing certain players or certain teams to the audience. They've done a few. You can tell that they had kind of some some features banked Fox and they've they they did a feature on Vidal, uh, Trudeau Vidal from from Chile, um, but you could tell it was you know backed from previously. I think they had one on Kaku Romero from Paraguay, but while he's doing the interview, he was wearing a Red Bull jersey, and like we know what happened with Kaku Romero and Red Bulls completely falling out. They fell out. He left the club, went to Saudi Arabia. Like it went into litigation. So it was kind of like, for me, it was kind of weird. You could tell that they didn't have the ability of going and doing like a live interview with somebody. So when we see on what they do, what I, what I think is interesting is just their, their knowledge of kind of like the other players at the tournament, like Samorano and, and, and some of the other analysts that they're not all former players, but some of them understand perhaps, oh, they know what sort of referee this is. They know his style from Copa Libertadores. So they know his style from World Cup qualifying. He's a tough referee. He shows a lot of yellows and he's going to dictate the play. And so like you're watching it with that context, which is always interesting. Um, clearly, yes, Messi and Neymar are, 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 are key to this tournament and their performances. They're leading the two top teams. Um, but they haven't been great there. I mean, in, in Argentina, I'm talking about Argentina. Argentina has not been great. And I think something that Camarones said recently in an interview with Argentine radio, which when he said it, I was like, yes, like this is what I've been trying to say about Argentina is like, he says that they tend to improvise too much on the field tactically, um, which I think is such an interesting um, perspective because mm-hmm. Lionel Scaloni, the, the coach is, 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 consistently in hot water because of his system and the way that the players perform within his system. Um, and I think that's clearly having to do with the dependency on Lionel Messi, but the way Camaronesi views it, he's like, I don't see them playing. They're not tactical enough. It, it does look like there are guys kind of just like riffing off each other and riffing off of Messi. Um, and, and that to me could become part of, whether they get through to this tournament and get to the final or not, because the games are going to become more tactical in the knockout realm. So that, that sort of analysis I thought is really interesting from, from the Univision side and, and for an audience to understand when they go into this game, you know, what, what they expect to see. And so what they can expect to see is the knockout round uh, with most of the same teams still involved. Venezuela and Bolivia have been eliminated. So two teams out, I believe 20 total games played uh, overall. What are your big takeaways at this point in the tournament, Felipe? 
Like I said before, I think the games have been have been pretty tactical. Um, and I think, uh, again, a lot of these teams, every one of these teams understands that this is an important tournament. Like if you look at the rosters, and I was just talking to Paul Tenori about this. You know, the you know Gold Cup is coming up. Mexico's taking their A squad. The U.S. is not taking their A squad for whatever reasons you want to believe. And whatever Greg Berhalter has said, he has his reasons. It was a difficult decision due to Nations League and all the games and giving players rest. I get it. Um, I, I think what's interesting with Copa America, even though it's been a fiasco logistically, and the fact that they also have are attempting for this tournament to be every two years instead of every four years, and the fact that even to get this tournament to, to get up off the ground, they had to bring the players in after playing two rounds of World Cup qualifying like a week before. But still, every country in South America brought their A squad. And I think that speaks volumes of how important this tournament is for the players and for the teams. And so, um, you know, the, the soccer, in my opinion, like if you compare it to the Euros and every, you know, have these three, three ties and the last minute goals and last second goals and penalties – it hasn't been like that because playing in South America, when these teams know each other so well, the games are just so tight and, and they're more physical. Um, but you've had individual moments of brilliance from Messi. I think there are players that are kind of emerging um, with their national teams, young players, young defenders um, at, at, at countries that perhaps aren't known for developing you know, stout defenders. Like Ecuador has, has a couple left, has a left footer center back that's, that's excellent. Um, you've got Yoshi Jotun for Peru, who used to be an MLS. He's, I think he's the player with the most recoveries in the tournament. Um, you have individual matchups. I think you have young teams like Paraguay that are developing a new style. You know, they used to be such a compact, physical, counterattacking team. And now they have players that want the ball. They want to keep the ball. They want to play. They want to combine. But the back line of Paraguay is still that traditional, just like physical big center back that will break you if he if he gets the chance so there's an evolution happening i think throughout the tournament for a lot of countries you know colombia who i know we've talked about several times here like they have a new coach they are you know they want to win the tournament but they have a new coach that needs to qualify for the world cup and they're in a tough spot in qualifying so he's been open saying we're here to win but he can tell in some of the lineup choices, he he's testing players. He wants to know who he has at right back, who he has at the number six. And so all these things are happening while still each country clearly went into this tournament knowing that, you know, they, they wanted to get the most out of it. So I've been pleased. Like it hasn't been great because of what we've mentioned as far as the atmosphere and everything else. But overall, like anytime you get to see the top players in South America collectively in one spot, um, it's 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 worth watching. I think this tournament now into the knockout phase is going to get better. Like I think South American soccer in any knockout competition is so so difficult to predict. You know Brazil matching up against Chile. You want to choose Brazil, of course you do. Chile has not been excellent, but they're a team that like you don't want to face. They've won the last two Copa Americas. Like they know how to win this tournament. Argentina going against Ecuador. Ecuador, I don't think anyone wants to play Ecuador. They're young, they're fast. Uh they they're happy against a, a team like Argentina to sit back, defend and counter with speed. That can that's probably kind of scary for Argentina, a team that's been shaky defensively. And then, you know, Peru, Paraguay, one of those teams is getting this to the semifinal. And then finally, Colombia, Uruguay, I think two countries that have a recent history of really good matchups. You've got Cavani Suarez um, leading that line for Uruguay. Colombia won't have Juan Cuadrado, but they're a team with they're a deep team. And I think you're going to see that'll be, a, for me, one of the most fascinating tactical battles of the knockout phase, Colombia, Uruguay. Which team or teams do you think are in the best position in terms of both uh, going far in this tournament, but then also uh, with resuming World Cup qualifying? Because I know we have some like perennial powers who are continuing to be those powers. Brazil and Argentina, I'm assuming, will be qualifying for the 2022 World Cup. But you do have some other teams that maybe haven't done as well in World Cup qualifying that maybe are figuring some things out, as you said. So who do you think sort of has it most figured out at this point? Well, I think it's it's okay to spend a minute or two on talking about how good Brazil is because 
It's like everyone assumes Brazil's good, but they haven't been great at the last World Cups in 2014. We know how that one ended. What, 7-1 against Germany? Yeah, uh, I, I seem to recall that. It's like they'll never forget that. That was in Brazil. They were expected to get, at the, get to the final. Now, you know, Neymar had been injured in, in the quarterfinal. Um, but still, 2019, they win the tournament with that, without Neymar. He gets injured before that tournament. Um, but the 2018 World Cup was was uh, a disaster for Brazil, being knocked out by Belgium. Um, so they've improved from those disappointing exper- experiences and performances at the top tournaments. And I think now, like historically, when, when you compare this team with like the best Brazil team ever, the 1970 World Cup winning team with Pelé, like they're on par. Statistically, they're on par with that team, which is crazy to even think about. Um, that was a team that won the, the country's third World Cup. So, yes, Brazil at the international level at the next World Cup, they ha- they have a lot to prove. But right now what they're proving is that they are extremely well coached, which is always kind of like, are they or aren't they for Brazil? They, they'll go through coaches uh, pretty quickly. And now they have a coach in Tiche who um, is – is a modern footballing coach. Like he takes his cues from European soccer. He go, he's been to Europe and he studied teams and he likes that sort of like the modern tactics. It's not just slow methodical play. When you get Brazil, um, they, they are beehiving teams all over the pitch with their press and they get forward super quick. And they're just a pain to play against because they're deep, deep. They're a deep team. Firmino is coming off the bench, you know, like it's, it's crazy. Um, so they're very good and, and they have that pressure to win. I think to answer your question though, like, again, I go back to Paraguay. I think Paraguay is a really interesting experiment and, and a project, you know, Miguel Almiron was injured in the last, the last round of, of the group stage. He's doubtful for the knockout phase and that hurts, but you have a coach. I tweeted about this. If anyone saw it, that Eduardo Berlito, he's an Argentine, Argentine coach, a former River Plate player, played in Europe, a hard-nosed defender, but he's instilled kind of this, this new way of playing. Like I mentioned before, they want to keep the ball. They want to possess, but it's like very direct and progressive possession. They have tricky technical players that like to combine around the box. And of course, a player like Almiron is, is someone that is, is, is a difference maker at this level. And they still have their stout, traditional Paraguayan defending. And right now in World Cup qualifying, they're, they're in sixth place, just one point behind fifth place Colombia, which the fifth place spot is the playoff spot. And I think they have a chance to be one of those teams that progressively gets better leading up to the World Cup. Um, I think they're the team that's, that's replacing Chile in that regard. Chile is getting older. Their, their golden generation is, I think this is one of their, probably their last tournament together. And so you, ha- you're going to see a team like Paraguay um, continue to improve. And of course, Ecuador, we've talked about, can they just remain consistent? They have great, great young players and, and also a good coach. So we'll see, but I think Paraguay is my team of, of, of the tournament, if you will, they might not make it, you know, beyond they might lose to Peru. Peru is a team that is difficult to play against, but I think moving forward in long term, Paraguay is one to watch. A uh, couple follow ups there. So you compared this Brazil with the 1970s Brazil, at least statistically. You definitely emphasize that. Um, but that 1970s team obviously featured Pele, but an aging Pele. I think retired from international football a, a year or so later. Uh, and I, I guess the comparison I would like to draw if we're going to go this 1970s to today route would be Neymar, who is getting closer to Pele in terms of all time scoring for Brazil, but is also not necessarily getting up there in years, but is certainly getting a little bit older. Does he play that sort of role for Brazil right now, the all-important attacker, or have other players sort of come to the uh, foreground to augment what he does? It's a great question and a great, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating debate. Um, and I'll tease a column that I, I've been talking to you offline about this column that should be out probably today after we record this, but Perfect. I'll tease it. I'll tease it. Um, <laughs> and, and it's, it's, it is really about putting, you know, Neymar, um, and even Messi, but since we're talking about Neymar, it's oh, wow. like, okay, I did not know this. Yeah. Like what is, you know, what is their legacy? Like who truly I'm really teasing right now. I'm really going to get like, I might blow up my spot, but like who really needs the tournament more, the win more um, between those two superstars, Messi and Neymar. But like, 
let's start with Neymar. Let's just talk, answer that question. You know, he has always been since he was a teenager, this, the heir apparent to Pelé. And I think that's incredibly unfair, but I think it does speak to his talent, his undeniable talent. Um, and the way Brazil is consistently looking for that, you know, that savior, if you will, the next Pelé. Um, and you know, I think it's important to note, uh, there's a great article from the guardian from when they, after they won the tournament in 2019, that was all about the way Chiche, the manager changed his tactics and into favorable, the type of tactics that he favors, which is a little bit more direct play without Neymar. And they won the tournament. They won without Neymar. So it's kind of like this conundrum, you know, are they better with him? I mean, who doesn't want Neymar on their team, but is this, is this a team that can win with him when they play through him? And, and that, that to me is, is, is a storyline that has been happening throughout the tournament and will really be emphasized, you know, starting tonight when they play Chile in the quarterfinals. So, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, Neymar has, a, has, a, has a, a cloudy legacy, if you will, both on and off the field. I think we know that. It's, it's, it has not been good as of late personally for him. Um, but he, he is, he's the number 10. He's Brazil's number 10. He is Brazil's main star, the biggest star in that country. And, and it's all on him to, to, to win this tournament. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So I want to keep going with Neymar because I think I am more like positive about him than a lot of people tend to be. I, I tend to really enjoy him, but also acknowledge that he does not make it easy because every time he has one of those games where it's like, see, this is why we think he is that next level player. He will then have that dive or that sort of theatrical moment or get into it when he doesn't need to, or then you'll hear the stories about him not being as disciplined and that like. It definitely shapes things, but I still have a soft spot for him because I do think he is that next level player that can do next level things. How do you see him? Like, what what are your sort of feelings towards Neymar, or maybe even in relation to Lionel Messi? Um, well, let's just stick to soccer first, you know, because yeah. Messi, even even when you compare Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi and their legacies and who's the better player, who's the goat, like all those things. If you get into their personalities and what they've done off the field, like right there, the argument gets derailed for a lot of people. Um, and, and I think the same is for Messi and Neymar. If you compare them or if you put them side to side, you know, Messi off the field, he had some tax issues, um, but let's oh, just, yeah. yeah, he has some tax issues, but let's, let's be super honest and blunt. Um, you know, Neymar has, has had, you know, sexual assault allegations levied against him more than once. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that is complicating his, his legacy, but as a player, you know, it, he, he's like such a either you love him or you don't. Now, that's what I think is so fascinating about Neymar because people, you know, you can just focus on the theatrics and the dives and all that. But he is one of the top players in the world still. And, you know, when I talk to my friends in Colombia that watch this game, you know, very – uh, uh, analytically, and when you play Brazil, and when they played in Colombia and Brazil played the other night, uh, a couple weeks ago, it was just like, God, man, like this guy Neymar is so good. Like he will just, he wants to embarrass you. You know, that's why guys want to kick him <laughs> because he's a player, he's not hiding. <laughs> he's not hiding from the ball. He wants it. And when he gets it, he wants to, he wants to own you right there, right there in one on one, wherever he is on the field. And, and those players to me are special because that's, that's the game that we love. The guy that wants to take you on and create and be a playmaker. And he's leading this Copa America in some 
interesting stats, like big chances created. Um, I think he's leading in ball recover, possession recovered in the opponent's final third, which is interesting. Um, in, in which it shows his, his yeah. ability to press and to be part of the pressing system. He's not just like this egotistical guy that's going to stand back and like, give me the ball. Um, so I, I agree with you. Like I like him as a player because he's so ambitious and adventurous and he combines a lot of what we love about, you know, street ball um, in, in, into kind of like this modern game. Um, and, and Brazilians love that as well. Like he's, he's, he's their guy. And so I think at this tournament, you've, you've seen a Neymar that coming off a disappointing year with PSG where they're, you know, they're bounced out of the champions league. And that's the whole purpose of him being at that club. Uh, you can see a guy that, you know, clearly wants to lift this trophy. All right. Well then I'm excited for the rest of this tournament from a motivated, enthusiastic pressing on the pitch Neymar. Uh, but you mentioned that Colombia game, the Brazil-Colombia game. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being it's fine and 10 being you shouldn't even be thinking about asking me about this, uh, how are you feeling about Brazil's comprehensive, totally fair, and not at all controversial win over Colombia? I think I'm, I think I'm over it now. It, okay. took me, it took me a long time. You know, that, that was, like I mentioned before, it was... It I mean, was, you didn't even take the bait there, so I feel like you've yeah. definitely moved past it. Yeah, I moved past it. Now, I mean, I report, I had to report on it. I had to, like, kind of eliminate my emotions and, and report on what was going on. But, um, you know, first of all, from a footballing perspective, it was it was a top, top quality game. You know, we mentioned Neymar. You know, clearly Colombia had a plan to be in his back pocket, kick him a little bit, not let him turn. Um, and, and that was fascinating to watch with Wilmar Barrios, you know, Colombia's number six, who's one of the top defensive midfielders in South America. One of, I would say he's like a top 10 midfielder globally. He's just like under the radar cause he plays at Zenit in Russia. Um, but he was labeled the N'Gole Kante of South America when he was at Boca juniors. He was that type of player. He's just like ferocious in his marking. He's very technical in distribution. So that was awesome to see. And I think Colombia had a really good game plan in the end, the controversy of the first Brazil's first goal, which let's just break it down quickly for the listeners. Please. You know, Neymar is on the ball. Colombia is winning one, nothing. I think it's the 77th minute. Colombia's goal is off of an incredible bicycle kick, which came from 30 seconds of possession where Brazil didn't touch the ball and Colombia just pinged them across the field and then scored on a bicycle kick. It was unbelievable. And I lost my mind when they scored. <laughs> um, but so then 70th, 77th minute, Neymar is on the ball and he tries to kind of whip a ball in. He's in a half space and he tries to whip a ball into the box. Um, Colombia is stacked with like seven defenders and the ball ricochets off Argentine referee Nestor Pitana, one of the top referees in South America. He has refereed a World Cup final. So he's one of the top referees in the world. And for a brief second, he puts the whistle in his mouth as if to stop play. Because I think the layman knows that if in, in, in the new rules, if the ball hits the referee, they stop play and it becomes a drop ball. And when he puts the, the whistle up to his mouth, Colombia's players stop. There were even Brazilian players that kind of you know did the classic arm raised as if like, Hey, you know, like, Whoa, but he all of a sudden just said, play on. And the ball had bounced back to Paqueta and Paqueta swung the ball back, you know, to, to Loli on the, on the left wing. And six seconds later, Brazil scores and Colombia went nuts, you know? And so that opened up this debate about like this new, I, I equate it to the handball rule. It's so confusing where if a ball ricochets off a referee, this is law nine. There's a, it's called law number nine. There are all these different parameters for when he needs to stop play. And if, if the, 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 the ball ricochets off him and changes possession, that's, that is one reason why he needs to stop play. So he will stop play, drop ball. If it becomes it ricochets off the referee and turns into what they call a promising attack, he should stop play as well because it's, it's a benefit to the team that's in possession. He ruled that that was not a promising attack because it kind of ricocheted backwards. Now I see why you were stressing the six seconds earlier. But yes, yes, you are very... See, this is why I like Taylor, man. Taylor gets the details. <laughs> six seconds later, they scored. How is that not a promise? <laughs> um, so Colombia, their federation, um, officially like filed a complaint with Conmebol and with FIFA 
asking for Nestor Pitana and his team. That went to VAR and the VAR audio was released. And you can hear, you know, Columbia was was pointed to a, to a moment in the VAR where the, one of the VAR reviewers in the booth said, Columbia was going to have possession. Um, and then he was overruled. Uh, and so Columbia jumped on that and said that they didn't follow their own rule. And they asked for Nestor Pitana and his crew to be suspended. Now, Comobol has not suspended Pitana, but he's not part of the quarterfinals. He's not going to referee in the quarterfinals. In fact, one of the Spanish referees, Gil Masano, who's a La Liga, Jesus Gil Masano, a La Liga referee who was invited to this tournament, he's refing uh, the quarterfinal between Colombia and Uruguay. And Nestor Pitana is not part of the rotation. So just, you know, controversy. They added 10 minutes to that because Colombia complained for 10 minutes. And in those 10 minutes, totally fair. Brazil got the winner off a legitimate corner kick and Casemiro header because he was all by himself. So, you know, I think in the end, maybe when we get back after this tournament, there were so many, there were a lot of situations like that controversy, you know, you had Chile trying to down a drone because they thought Argentina was spying on them. So they sent their own drone and knocked it to the ground and it ended, up being, wars. Yeah, it ended up being like some random company, private company that was just like testing a new drone. So lots of stuff, you know, a party, Chile apparently had a party. Maybe, maybe they didn't, maybe they broke the bubble. Maybe they didn't. So a lot of interesting stuff has gone on. All right. Uh, th- then one team that we haven't talked about as much, but I wanted to mention uh, for a little bit would be Peru. Came into this tournament without Paulo Guerrero due to injury. They picked up Gianluca Lapadula, uh, who made his Peru debut in November at the age of 30. Italian, Italian uh, dual national. What's that? He's an Italian dual national. There we go. So what what is the story aside from him being an Italian dual national? And which dual national have you enjoyed more? Which story has been better? Is it Lapadula's or is it Ben Brereton's? Oh my gosh, it's definitely Big Ben. Big okay. Ben Barrington, Stokeborn, Barrington Diaz. Let's add the Diaz. Um, but you. yes, Big Ben uh, Barrington um, has been a fascinating story. If 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 you're if you're a subscriber to the Athletic, and even if you're not, find go to my Twitter or follow Nick Miller seventy nine. He's one of our UK writers, and he wrote a great piece on Nick Barrington today. It posted today, Friday. Um, about how he was discovered. Apparently, you're never going to hear this from Chile's Uruguayan coach, but Ben Barrington was discovered on Football Manager by a Chilean fan that was just looking for forwards. And he found a forward in Football Manager that had Chilean roots. His mother is Chilean. Um, And he goes from Blackburn in the championship to being one of the stars of Copa America, Ben Barrington. He scored a goal, has an assist, He's a different sort of striker for Chile. He's a big kind of number nine. They don't have those type of players in in Chile. They, they're very fast and quick. And Edu Vargas, their his who is historically their the nation's leading scorer, I think he has forty goals for them. Um, has combined well. You know, Alexis Sanchez is injured. I think he's back for the knockout phase. But it allowed Ben Barrett to come into the team and and be be a difference maker. So that's been a great story. Um, as far as just, you know, kind of a random dual national that no one expected, no one knew of. And now he's a cult hero in Chile, which is awesome. Um, doesn't speak Spanish at all. Uh, and, um, you know, Lapadula is interesting. He's a, he's a, an Italian dual national. Um, not nearly as, as, as interesting as Ben Barrington, but... Um, you know, he's really stepping in for Paulo Guerrero, who's one of the top strikers in South America, Peru's main man. He's like, I equate Guerrero as being Peru's Lewandowski. He's, he's, he's Peru's um, Lewandowski. He's that sort of player. He's that important to the team. And he was essentially kept out of the tournament to, to recover from an injury. But um, Lapadula has been okay. He hasn't been great. Um, they have another dual national as well, Ormeño, who um, was uh, available and had the chance to play for, for Mexico as well. And he chose Peru. I think he saw that Tata Martino was clearly going after Funes Mori and that probably changed his decision to stick with Peru, but some interesting, you know, dual nationals, you know, throughout the tournament, uh, but clearly Ben Barrington, the, the top guy, and he'll be watch tonight's game, watch Brazil, Chile, because he'll, he may, he should get the start if Alexis Sanchez is, is, is not fit. Um, and he's a, he's a fun player to watch. He's kind of like a tryhard, you know, like a guy who's probably super annoying to play against. If you're a defender, he'll run for days, but he's good at combining with these Chilean forwards. So it's fun to watch. 
And as you mentioned, this is a Chile team that are a bit older. This is maybe the last uh, tournament for that golden generation. Is uh, is he a player, Ben Burton, that you expect to like Chile to build around going forward since he is only 22 years old? Or are there other players you think that will be as or more important than him to Chile? Well, he's, it would be really interesting if they choose to build around him because tactically, like I mentioned before, kind of like mm-hmm. lightly, you know, tactically, Chile, they've had great number nines, right? Marcelo Salas, Ivan Samordano, who we've mentioned, but they weren't hold up strikers. And Ben Barrington is like a big kid. He's like a big dude. Um, but he can play off the wing, too, because he's, he's like a hustler and he'll run and he'll run. And he'll press. But where he has been good for Chile is playing back to goal and then allowing Chile's midfielders to just run off of him. And he's got this nice kind of deft touch that allows him to combine, combine and play this like very South American style, which is just so, again, I keep saying the word fascinating, but it is. This dude was born in Stoke. He's been playing in the championship <laughs> and he's just like comfortable playing in the system. So that would be cool. I mean, I, I don't know off the top of my head, like, who the next generation is for Chile, they're not deep anymore. Um, you know, Felipe Mora, who plays for the Portland Timbers, is there. He's been he's on the bench. I think he's a good forward. I think he's very good. He's 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 not big, but he's great on the ball. He can play back to goal. He's very, very technical. Is he the future of Chile? Like, I think if you're Chilean and you think a player like Felipe Mora who who was good in the Liga MX, has been good for Portland. If that's your main man, like I think you're concerned about like who's coming up um, because they're used to having star strikers. Um, and so it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how that goes for them to, from a development aspect. Um, you know, they have young players. They have a style in Chile that most of their clubs play. They're very high tempo. That was something that Marcelo Bielsa instilled when he was there. And it's stuck. It's stuck. It's part of Ch- Chile's ethos footballing ethos is the the high pressing man-to-man high intensity bielsa football which you know their uruguayan coach i think is is tweaking it a little bit but i think it's because his 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 team is older so what happens with chile next like i mean like i said before with paraguay that is a team to watch like how do they build you know through qualifying and what happens if they don't reach the 2022 world cup and one final question for you. Uh, the first game played later today, if you're listening to this on Friday, probably already played for most people listening to it, would be uh, Peru-Paraguay. Regardless of the result, uh, per- Peru came into this tournament bottom of Common Bowl World Cup qualifying, four points from six games. Do you think they've figured some things out in this Copa America? Is this them starting to turn it around, or does the big loss to Brazil loom larger than any other result? Oh, good question, dude. I mean, Peru are in last place in World Cup qualifying, one win. And I, if I'm, my memory does not, let's see if I'm correct here. I'm pretty sure they just recently got their first win in qualifying. They were outclassed by Colombia in qualifying three, nothing before this tournament, got a little bit of revenge and defeated Colombia in the, in the, the group phase. Um, it, you know, Ricardo Gareca, their, their manager, for those that don't know, was a, a very highly accomplished player in South America in his day. I saw him play. I was 10 years old in Colombia and I saw him play. He played for America de Cali when America de Cali was one of the best teams in South America. Um, and he was, he was, he, I remember he scored from half field against Iguita. He lift, he, he li- lifted his head, saw Iguita, of course, was, you know, at the top of his 18. <laughs> And he just drilled. I like the of course. Yeah, you know, he was probably even farther than that, Yigita. But like Gareca was a great player. He's highly respected in South America. He coached Velez at it for a time. And it's always seemed like, you know, he took them to the World Cup. He took Peru to the 2018 World Cup after like 30 years of missing out. And so he's like this hero to the to the country's Argentine. And he's a hero there. But he's I I felt like he was he was done before this tournament because they were doing so poorly in qualifying. Um, and to your point, like, have they found something new? I don't know. I think they've come together. I think that's one of his, one of Gareca's main attributes is he's a, he's kind of like a master motivator. So I think he's been able to find this team's psyche again and, and, and put it to at a level where they become once again, this team at Copa America, like they did, they were in 2019 when they reached the final 
with a stronger team, albeit, but they're a team that like, you know, we can play, you know, they're, they're, they're highly technical, they're disciplined. Um, but they're a team, like if you put Peru down early, you're, you're most likely to win. If you keep Peru in the game, oh my gosh, like they, they, they can stab you in the back. You know, they, they can, they're that sort of team. They're pesky, they're technical. Uh, they don't, they don't give up unless you get them down early. And so they're an interesting team to your point, because they've, they've found a second gear that they didn't have in qualifying. And again, can they take that to, um, once qualifying resumes, they're in last place, they're in last place, but they're at four points. Um, and for instance, the fourth place team Uruguay has eight. So it's, it's so tight right now in, in Comable. All right. Well, Felipe, I appreciate you taking the time on a very busy uh, time period. Hopefully we can have you back on uh, before the semifinals or the final. Uh, but if people want to see more from you, um, they'll be hearing more from you on Allocation Disorder, which I think is out uh, either today or tomorrow. Again, uh, a very busy time for Felipe. But uh, what else have you got coming out for The Athletic? So, yeah, I mean, follow me on Twitter again, at Felipe Carr. Subscribe mm-hmm. to The Athletic um, if Do you that. haven't already. Um all those things. Yeah, there's like a tea. Uh, there's a, a good column coming out today on Copa America. Focus a little bit uh, on Messi and Neymar. I think that'll be a fun read for everybody. Um, you know, the Ben Barrington story I helped out on. So, so to give that one a read. Um, and if you haven't read the latest on the fallout with Frank de Boer and and the, the Netherlands and kind of how they crashed out of the Euros, check that out as well. It was very very well written by Simon Hughes, one of our writers. I did contribute. Some knowledge there that I have from some knowledge, um, and I have spoken with with some people close to DeBoer um, and, and what he's thinking and what went wrong, and so that's an interesting story as well to check out because not to go totally off topic, but it really felt like it might have been the ideal job for a coach like Frank DeBoer, and once again, it just goes south so quickly. So, give that one a read too. I think there's going to be more coming from the Dutch Federation very soon. All right. I, I will go check that one out. I also checked out and noted that Allocation Disorder has been published. So you oh, can hear yeah. Felipe on that one already. Uh, and then I guess listen to this one. Although if you're hearing me say this, you're probably listening to this one first. But either way, Felipe uh, Cardenas making a double appearance in the Total Soccer Show feed this week. Felipe, thank you for that and many other things. All right. Yeah. Happy to join anytime, Taylor. Thanks a lot. 